All right, well, good evening, everybody. Can I have you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 9? So in our study in the book of Revelation, we have entered into chapter 9, but just again by way of quick review, really um, six, sections 6 through 19 are the third and final section of the book, and the longest, obviously, of the book. And this is where uh, the judgments take place that God is pouring out upon the earth. Now, it started in chapter 5 when Jesus stepped up to the throne and took the scroll out of the Father's right hand and began to break the seven seals. The scroll was, was sealed with seven seals. And as the Lord Jesus began to break each one of the seals, judgments were unleashed upon the inhabitants of the earth. Well, the seventh seal... When he broke that seal, it unleashed the seven trumpet judgments, which we began to look at in chapter 8. And as we said when we looked at chapter 8, each of the first four trumpet judgments, that would be chapter 8, verses 7 to 13, uh, they affect the physical universe in some way. As we saw vegetation, uh, oceans, seas, then the fresh water, and finally a third of the light of the sun, moon, and stars. As we come to chapter 9 and the sounding of the 5th and 6th trumpet judgments, the focus shifts from the physical to the spiritual realm. Uh, the 5th and 6th trumpet judgments unleash upon the inhabitants of the earth two demonic armies, two demonic armies that bring with them such horrific judgments that these last three judgments of the seven trumpet judgments are singled out and called woe judgment because they're exceedingly harsh let's back up and pick it up with verse one just to get a running start on tonight's study then the fifth angel sounded and i saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth to him was given the key to the bottomless pit and he opened the bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace so the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will, they will desire to die, and death will flee from them. The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold. Their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had a breastplate like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months, and they had a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek he has the name Apollyon. Verse 12, one woe is past, behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. And all we can say is woe. So the sixth trumpet, verse 13. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the, of the golden altar, which is before God, saying uh, to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for an hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now, I said a couple of weeks ago that Revelation 9 teaches us that there is a shaft that leads from the surface of the earth all the way down to the center of the earth, a place called the bottomless pit, or in the Greek, the abusa, the abusa. Now, at that time, we said the shaft is there, but we don't know where the opening is to get down this shaft into the center of the earth or the bottomless pit. Well, maybe Revelation 9 verse 14 gives us the answer. The, the door of this shaft is somewhere near or in the Euphrates River. 
The question is, why are these angels bound at the Euphrates or in the Euphrates River? Well, commentators don't know, and uh, they give us ideas, conjecture. Uh, they do point out one thing that I think is worth uh, pointing out to you guys, and that is the prominence of this area in Scripture cannot be overlooked. Why are they bound in or near the Euphrates? We don't know, but we sure know a lot about this area. And if there was a focal point, if there was a center of the earth topologically, uh, it would be this area because so much has happened in this area and will continue to happen. Let me give you an example. The Garden of Eden was somewhere in this area. Uh, the sin of man began here. The first murder was committed here. The first war was fought here. The sin that brought the flood upon the earth started here. Here is where the Tower of Babel was erected along with the first cult. To this area were brought the Israelites when they were taken cap captive during the Babylonian captivity. Babylon, the Tower of Babel, Babel uh, later became the, uh, the, the city of Babylon, Babylon was the fountainhead of all idolatry on the face of the earth, and um, it was all headquartered in this area. We'll have a lot more to say about that in chapter 17. You don't want to miss that. And finally, it's here in this area that the final surge of sin on the earth during the Great Tribulation period is going to take place. So this seems to be kind of an integral area, okay? And um, a lot has happened there. And uh, God has got more that's going to happen uh, as we continue. But uh, verse 14 says that, that um, they were to release the four angels that are bound at the great river Euphrates. The fact that these angels are bound, or in other words, imprisoned, uh, means that they're fallen angels, of course. I mean, holy angels, God's uh, holy angels don't need to be bound. These are angels that have been imprisoned, bound, uh, and there's a reason for that, which we'll talk about in a moment. But apparently these are, listen, the worst, the most wicked, and most violent fallen angels in existence, which is why I believe they are bound. I mean, can you imagine what will happen when the worst fallen angels presently chained in the Abuso are suddenly released to come up onto the face of the earth? I mean, think about it for a second if uh, every maximum security prison in our nation was opened and all the worst and most violent criminals were suddenly released back into society all at once if you can think about horrific that would be that wouldn't even come close to when these angels are released and what damage they do when they uh, are released uh to walk the earth um and it's something something to behold uh We've touched on this, but we, we need to touch on it again quickly. Could this be what Jude and Peter were referring to? Turn to Second Peter 2 for a second. I'm going to show you a couple passages. Second Peter 2, verse 4, and then Jude, verse 6. But Second Peter 2, verse 4. Peter said, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, the Greek is Tartarus, which is the lowest compartment of Hades. We would call it the maximum security part of Hades, okay, where the worst of the worst are kept, all right? But if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to Tartarus and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, all right? Jude verse 6, and the angels who did not keep, and see Jude is talking about the same thing, that's why I want to read them both together, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he, God, has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Now there's two ways we could look at this. Are, are Peter and Jude talking about very violent, vicious Angels, fallen angels, the worst of the worst. So bad that God has chained them in this maximum security part of Hades 
until he judges them someday. Could be that could very well be the interpretation. Or or is what Peter and Jude are alluding to is that these exceedingly violent, wicked angels God has chained in Tartarus for a very specific time in human history when they will be released to bring judgment, the judgment of God upon the inhabitants of the earth. I'll let you decide which one is the case. It may be both, right? I do know that we do see them being released and we are studying now how that they are going to be used by God to bring great judgment to the people of this world. Verse 15. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. This is why no doubt God keeps them bound because they're so violent and so vicious that, you know, they would wreak havoc uh, in the world more than we see going on right now, okay? But um, these specific specific angels four of them you say what what harm could four angels do well these four a lot okay but these exceedingly vicious angels are released at a precise time let me paraphrase what is being said talking about the appointed hour occurring in the appointed day and that in the appointed month and that in the appointed year. Or in other words, God has reserved these angels for an exact time in human history. That's the idea being communicated, okay? Once again, the Bible says, for everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1 tells us that. And the time has now come for God to release these four exceedingly violent and wicked fallen angels. And the purpose... The purpose for which they are released is not to torment for five months like the other demon horde, right? That's like, we're like locusts with the scorpion tails. And they stung the inhabitants of the earth, the earth dwellers, unbelievers. Um, and people were would writhe on the ground in agony and would want to die. But for five months, God will not let them die. He will not let their spirit leave their bodies. And so they are forced to endure. And we talked about how that was act, is actually going to be the mercy of God in operation. You say, well, how does that work? Get the CD from last time. We talked about that in detail. But it's just important to understand that these now, these four angels, are going to lead an army. They're going to be over each angel, over a quarter of this I believe, a demonic army. We'll talk about that more in a second. But their purpose is not to torment for five months. It's to kill. It's to kill. And since a fourth of mankind has already been killed, as we read about in Revelation 6, verse 8, and now another third of the remaining population is killed, which means that by the time the sixth trumpet judgment is completed, over one half of the earth's population will be wiped out. Roughly three and a half billion people. Now, let me stop here and interject a little footnote that you might think has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But I do. Okay, I do. There are, and we, we looked at this last week in our video. If you weren't here, uh, we can get you a copy to watch, okay? Uh, and up, up, a briefing by uh, Amir Tisfardi, who is a, a, a Jewish believer in Yeshua and uh, very connected. He's a member of the uh, uh, Israeli uh, army, uh, an officer, also a tour guide who leads tours, knows the history, knows you know the Bible when he does these tours. So he, he gave us an update on how the devil has been working from uh, Genesis uh, in the Garden of Eden to the present day, okay? And to kind of dovetail along with what he said, there are very powerful elite groups of super wealthy people who really control the world and are, I believe, maybe not all, I believe they are Satan worshipers, 
Now, when I say Satan worshipers, uh, it could just encompass the fact that they believe Lucifer is the true God, and the God of the Bible is not the true God. And there are those that we saw last time who have twisted Scripture and twisted things to make it seem that Lucifer is the true God, and um, he will someday take control of the world. You would be shocked. Uh, if you really knew how many powerful, well-connected pol politicians and the very wealthy uh, individuals worship the devil, you'd be shocked. I mean, I don't know them all, but I've, I have seen some get saved and talk about uh, people, the Hollywood, uh, you know, just very powerful places, you know, uh, politicians. Uh, university heads. Uh, it's just amazing, okay? But there are is a group, several groups really, uh, of very wealthy people who control the world. And not only are they worshipers of Lucifer, I believe, but they are also worshipers of the earth. Worshipers of the earth. They go by different names. The Illuminati, uh, the Bilderberg Group, the Trilateral Commission, Council on Foreign Relations, to name a few. They believe that the maximum population of the earth must not exceed 500 million. Now, if they have their way, that means nine-tenths of the world's population must be eradicated. You say that's ridiculous. Well, uh, they don't seem to think so. In fact, if you're interested in this, uh, this week, not now, Google the, the Georgia Guidestones. Very mysterious grouping of stones that uh, nobody knows really who funded it. There's uh, several stones. They call it the American Stonehenge. Um, but on these stones in several languages are listed these uh, guidelines for the future of mankind. And the very first one in English is that the Earth's population must not exceed 500 million to keep nature and man in a perfect balance. Any more than that, you begin to drain uh, the earth's strength, Mother Earth uh, begins to die, and so on and so forth. And so you say, well, the, who, who would believe that? Uh, how could people believe that? Well, I, I don't know how they can believe it. it. The fact is, they do believe it. And they believe it so strongly, I believe they're working to bring about these things. You can check that out for yourself, okay? But um, I read WorldNet Daily as one of my internet news services, Joe Farah who uh, founded that news source, is a solid Christian. And I, I like the way they approach things from a Christian perspective. But um, I was looking through some of my old articles. I keep uh, articles that if I think that they're relevant to uh, Bible teaching or just, I keep them. And I, I searched, and this one came up, uh, an article that Joe did himself back in 2007. And let me just quote just a, a part of it. He said, there's no question that the CFR, the Council on Foreign Relations, is a club for wealthy elite power. It's, it's no question the CFR is a club for wealthy elite power brokers who want or already do rule the world. But how do they plan to do it? How do spin-off groups like the Trilateral Commission and those with interlocking memberships, such as the Bilderbergers, plan to create a one-world government. You know, Paul said the mystery of iniquity is already at work. He said that 2,000 years ago. I mean, you know, what Satan has got planned for this world was not going to be cooked up overnight. He's been working on it since the Garden of Eden, basically. And things are now coming together, all right? But uh, how are they going to bring about this one-world government? Well, some including author Daniel Estelin in his new book, now that's going back to 07, in his new book, The True Story of the Bilderberg Group, have offered evidence of plans by the globalists to depopulate the world, to crush the middle class, and to reduce most people to mere serfs, end quote. Many believe they are using COVID-19 and these vaccines uh, to in part accomplish their objective of world depopulation. Some believe that the COVID-19 vaccine was purposely cooked up. Now it's coming out that uh, it didn't happen naturally in nature. That was a lie. And in, in, I, I saw many virologists say 
that you know you can check this virus genetically and know right away if you studied this kind of thing. This was a man-made virus. Of course, the idea is, well, yeah, they scientists will take viruses out of nature. And they'll bring them into the lab and genetically alter them to, to make sure that we could come up with a vaccine if these things ever happen. Well, if you're genetically uh, altering them, something that wouldn't happen in nature to begin with, that's pretty stupid. But you know what China, why China did that? It was a biological weapon, let's be honest. And there are those who believe this was purposely done in cahoots with who knows who and released purposely into the world and now followed up by these vaccines, which many are dying from these vaccines. If you got the vaccine, uh, please, uh, you know, you do what you feel God wants you to do. But th I, I've been reading article after article, the more people have died from this particular, or there's three or four companies that have developed vaccines, more people have died from these vaccines than all the other vaccines, uh, what, since 2000, put together? And now they want to shoot these uh, these. Uh, this chemical cocktail of untested uh, chemicals into the body of our bodies of our children. It, it's just, I don't know. I, I'm not going to tell you. I know what's going on. Uh, I've been reading things, and these are by top scientists and virologists. I mean, these are people that write papers that the other scientists and virologists and epidemiologists read. Uh, they're doctors to the doctors and scientists to the scientists. And they're saying some terrifying things. And I just believe that everything is coming to a head. And a lot of the things that the Bible has talked about, and, you know, we see little hints in Scripture that we can relate to what's happening then in, you know, the world at this time. We can see how they could very well fit together, correlate with each other. And I would imagine that those folks that are alive when, God begins to depopulate the earth through judgment, part of it, they're going to be tickled until it happens to them. That's not in the plan, okay? I'm too important to be wiped out, see? These, these big shots, right? Uh, these wealthy folks, these tech giants and, uh, and corporate giants and politicians, yeah, they want the rest of us to be brought to nothing. You know, we don't deserve to have uh, a middle-class income. We don't deserve to have air conditioning in the summer because it's a tax on the resources of the planet. We ought to be walking everywhere, riding uh, bicycles. But but them, eating synthetic beef, maybe you heard that. Uh, believe me, they're going to be having steaks and uh, nice, juicy uh, burgers that are not fake. Uh, and all that, Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, back to Revelation 9, verse 16. Now, the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. So John didn't have to count. Okay. You know, I mean, it was told him the number. Uh, you have to understand how incredible this must have been for John when he heard that this army consisted of 200 million horsemen. Historians tell us that around the first century, uh, the earth's population was probably about 200 million total. Uh, the Roman army, the strongest and uh, and uh, the strongest army on the face of the planet in the first century, consisted of 25 legions, a total of 125,000 soldiers. So to hear an army of 200 million, John probably thought, "How is this even possible?" Well, it's possible. Um, now, as I said, each angel, there's four of them, is going to be in charge of one quarter of the vast army that follows them at their liberation. So it's not just that these four angels are chained in Tartarus. Um, they're released, of course, but with them, an army of 200 million, I believe, demonic creatures, an army. And there are going to be four angels, each having authority over one quarter of this vast demonic army of creatures, right? Verse 17. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. 
By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. Now, there are those, and I think I belonged to this camp when I first got saved, who read this and said, you know, what I think John is trying to describe is, at that time, 20th century weaponry. How, do you, how does a first century guy uh, describe an Apache helicopter or, uh, you know, or a, a, a tank uh, and so on, right? I, I have since come to change that view, that interpretation. But there are those, uh, there are a good number of people who suggest that this is not a demonic army. Now, I believe it is, and I'm not the only one. But there are a lot of good scholars I'm not a scholar, but there's a lot of good scholars out there who believe that this is not a demonic army, but an army of human soldiers. And uh, they maintain that this same army, this human army, uh, is referred to in chapter 16, verse 12, an army led by the kings from the east, which they claim is a reference to the leaders of China. Now, this was a very popular view back in the 70s and uh, early 80s. Because back in those days, it came out that the um, Chinese Red Army uh, reportedly had an army of 200 million soldiers. And so that was, wow, this is it. This is what the Bible was talking about. Um, But here's the problem. In chapter 16, no reference is made to the size of the army led by the kings of the east. Further, that army arrives, chapter 16, that army arrives on the scene during the 6th bowl judgment which takes place during the seventh trumpet judgment uh, not the sixth trumpet judgment which we're studying right now so we're not there yet okay this is an army that comes before that army all right different army all right and i know people want to kind of put the two together uh, but there's differences again let me say it one more time that army in chapter 16 shows up uh during the sixth uh bowl judgment uh, and that doesn't happen until the seventh trumpet judgment is uh, is the seventh trumpet is blown and that begins the seventh bowl judgment. So right now we are studying the sixth trumpet judgment. So uh, the time frame is not uh, right. Again, I don't believe this is a human army. I take it that this is another demonic army headed uh, headed by four fallen angels. I believe. These are the very four uh, angels uh, of Satan, Satan, some of Satan's top lieutenants, we'll say, who helped coordinate and execute the attempt in Noah's day to corrupt the human race with demon seeds so Messiah could not be born. Now, we've spent a lot of time talking about that. Uh, Go back and read Genesis chapter 6 again. I believe that the sons of God, Genesis 6, which is always a reference to angels in the Old Testament, Um, I believe the sons of God, which were angels, came down from heaven. They didn't keep their proper domain, as uh, Jude, I believe, says. Went after strange flesh. They they cohabitated with human women, and their offspring were half-demon, half-human hybrids called Nephilim. Goliath was a Nephilim. His brothers were, but there were others, the Anakim, the Zamzumim. Uh, You can read the Old Testament, and you find these races of people when the the uh, moses sent the 12 spies in of course 10 of them brought an evil report only joshua and caleb brought a good report but the evil report was the land is full of the land is full of giants we're like grasshoppers in their sight now we think that's hyperbole they're just they're just exaggerating because these are big guys uh but there's archaeological evidence to to prove that these were literal giants literal giants what was it og king of bashan it says his bed was 13 feet long these are big boys okay they were literal giants and i believe they were half human half half demon hybrids and um i believe that these four fallen angels again four of satan's top lieutenants 
uh, were instrumental in orchestrating and executing this plan to contaminate the human race with demons since the Messiah could not be born. And Genesis 6 tells us that Noah and his family were perfect. Noah was perfect in his genealogies. You could translate from the, from the Hebrew, he was uncontaminated in his genealogy. In other words, God kept Noah and his family pure, maybe the only ones left, all flesh, had corrupted itself upon the face of the earth, animals and humans. And God seems to have kept one family pure, family of believers. And uh, from that one family, eight people, God repopulated the earth after the flood. Now, people say, that, that is a, quite a story you got going there. Well, again, uh, I'm just taking what the Bible says. If that was the only place in the Bible, in Genesis 6, that this was presented, it wouldn't be enough evidence for me to run with it, except that's, that very incident is repeated three times in the New Testament. Once in Jude, and Peter quotes uh, once in each of his two of, of epistles, talks about this. Uh, these angels that did something incredibly wrong, that God had to chain them in uh, and, and, and chains of darkness until the judgment of the great day, which could be the very judgment we're studying right now. But, um, but when they sinned against God, he bound them. And um, it's possible, it talks about the Euphrates, it's possible that in the Euphrates, or very near the Euphrates, there is this door that opens to this shaft that goes all the way down to the center of the earth, Again, the bottomless pit, the abuso, and these angels are, are, are right now, as we speak, are chained in this lowest part of Hades until they are kept under lock and key, so to speak, until uh, unable to do anything until God releases them and gives them permission to march with their armies across the globe on their murderous killing spree. Now, You've heard me mention Donald Gray Barnhouse, a tremendous man of God, with the Lord now. Um, usually commentaries on Revelation tend to be all over the map because everyone's got a different view, okay? So some of them are better than others. Uh, his commentary on Revelation is one of my favorites. Uh, it's very balanced, and I agree with most of what he has to say. But listen, let me quote some, to you something he said. He said, and I quote, it might be well to point out also that... So far as Asia is concerned, demon religions are all east of the Euphrates River. India is said to have 33 million gods, and we are told in the Bible that all of the gods of the heathen are demons. Psalm 96, verse 5, which is also Paul, um, uh, he um, quotes that in one of his epistles, I think, 1st or 2nd Corinthians. But... Um, now, before actually describing the horses who, who actually do the harm, okay, the horses are the ones that actually create the devastation, uh, the destruction. But John, before he talks about the horses, describes those who sat on them. He noted that the riders had breastplates the color of fire and hyacinth and of brimstone. The color of fire is red. Um, that of hyacinth is a dark blue or black like smoke and that of brimstone a sulfurous yellow brimstone describes a rock which when ignited produces a burning uh, flame and a suffocating gas the idea of fire smoke and brimstone along with these colors actually are described in the bible as features of hell you can check this out in chapter 14 verse 10 chapter 19 verse 20 chapter 20 verse 10 in chapter 21, verse 8. And together, guys, they paint a terrifying picture of God's wrath poured out on the sinful world of these, upon the sinful world of unbelievers at this time. Very hard hearted. And uh, God's wrath is going to be poured out on this sinful world by these demons, using these, these demons. Verse 20. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders and of their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. 
you, you may find it hard, I know I do, to imagine that after years of suffering and death under God's terrifying judgments, coupled with, you know, the powerful preaching of the gospel by the 144,000 Jewish evangelists, right? We read about that in chapter 7. Uh, the two witnesses, which we're going to see in chapter 11, but it's going to be a flashback because their ministry will begin at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period. But they're going to be preaching. In fact, their ministry converts the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. But you got the two witnesses preaching. You got a one, at one point in chapter 14, God releases an angel to fly through the heavens declaring the everlasting gospel. Nobody's going to be able to say, well, I never heard the gospel. Those folks living at this time, everyone's going to hear it. And then add to that what Jesus talked about in Matthew 20, verse 24, verse 14, how that other people, believers, are going to preach the gospel during this time. And yet, for all of this, there are so many who refuse to repent and be saved. So how, is that, how is that possible? Well, if you doubt how it's possible, look at the ministry of Jesus. Look at the miracles he did. The Bible said he did so many miracles that, I think it was John who said, uh, I suppose that all the books in the world couldn't uh, contain all the miracles he did. Hyperbole? Probably. But I think John's point was he did a lot of miracles. Coupled with the preaching. Remember how he was in the temple preach, uh, preaching one time and the chief priest had uh, released the temple guards to arrest Jesus and they came back empty-handed and they said, where is he? Nobody ever spoke like this man. They were so, they, they just got caught up in the power of his preaching, and they forgot to arrest him. And then, of course, you add to that the resurrection. The tomb was empty. Uh, there were eyewitnesses. And yet, for all of that, people still refused to repent. How is that possible? Well, turn to John 12 once. And we've talked about this before, but let me talk, say it again. In John 12, it's talking about how that Jesus had done so many miracles, uh, but the scribes and Pharisees and chief priests still didn't believe. Um, but John 12, verse 37, But although he had done so many signs, miracles before them, they did not believe in him, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. Their heart had gotten so hard, they had rejected Christ so many times, and every time a person rejects Christ, their heart gets a little harder, a little harder, until it gets so hard they cannot any longer believe. They can't believe. They can't get saved. As we have said, they have passed what we call the spiritual point of no return. It's hopeless. Okay, it's hopeless. And that's why in Revelation, I believe, God is really ramping up his judgments. These, these woe judgments are really designed to, if there's anybody left, as we said last time, the, the stinging by these locust-slash-scorpion creatures, demon creatures, um, so horrific, the pain so agonizing that people will want to die. Uh, I'm convinced we'll try to kill themselves, but they won't be able to die. And I believe God, that's, an, uh, that's a, um, an example of God's mercy. How? Well, because in hell, people are going to want to die to escape the agony, but they can't because they're already dead. So God brings hell to earth. You know, people say, well, hell's not a real place. This is hell right here on earth. Well, I mean, this may seem like hell to you at some point in your life, but believe me when I tell you, it's not hell there is a real place called hell and god in his mercy if he has to and he will bring the agony of hell to the earth for five months giving people a chance to repent and not have to spend eternity in the real hell where the torment is forever that's an act of mercy but it's extreme and it's extreme because people by this time are so hard-hearted and I think that we are now entering into a time when everybody who will get saved has gotten saved, okay, has gotten saved. 
But, uh, but in John 12, you know, therefore they could not believe because Isaiah said again, verse 40, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, turn to God, repent, so that I should heal them. And he goes on. When it says that they could not believe because God has hardened their heart, understand. It's like Pharaoh. Remember how it said that when Moses went to Pharaoh and said, Let, you know, I, I represent the God of the Jews, uh, the Hebrews. Uh, he has told me to tell you to let his people go. And, uh, and Pharaoh wouldn't, so God brought a plague through Moses to you know, show Pharaoh he was serious. He meant business. And, uh, but Pharaoh kept hardening his heart, hardening his heart. We, we keep reading, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then we read, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. See, when it says here that these folks could no longer believe because God hardened their hearts, it was only after the fact that they had been hardening their hearts over and over and over again. All that Jesus did, all that he said, and now, you know, God says, if this is how you want it, if this is how you want it, then I'll harden your heart all the more. God is going to get glory from our lives one way or another. Either we willing, willingly give him glory by bowing the knee to Christ, opening our heart to Jesus, becoming a child of God, living our lives for God, where he gets glory from our lives, or if a heart person is hard-hearted, stubborn, rebellious, God says, okay, well, then I'll get glory from your life the hard way. And I've always imagined it like God paints a big red circle around that person with a line through it and says, see this person, you don't want to do what they're doing. You don't want to follow in their footsteps. Uh, the Bible says, woe unto that person who strives with their maker. The way of the transgressor is hard. And it's hard because God wants it hard so that people are broken, like the prodigal in the pig pen. Or like Solomon who wandered away for so many years and then wrote Ecclesiastes. Sometimes hard hearts require hard measures. It's only an act of mercy though. However, if a person is that, you know, bent on so hardening their heart that they're not going to receive Christ no matter what God does. And God says, well, then I will use your life as an object lesson to everybody else of what not to do, how not to live. And so I'll get glory from your life one way or another. Okay, Revelation 9, verse 20. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And guys, this is where I believe now everybody who has gotten saved, will get saved, has gotten saved. I mean, when God unleashes these horrific, I mean, these, these are the most horrific judgments he's going to pour out upon the earth. And people are just standing there uh, defiant. Doesn't matter what you do, I'm not going to bend. It tells me that they're never going to get saved. Okay? Now, this idea uh, that, um, you know, that they should not worship demons and idols of we already said about the demons paul said every false god uh, that people worship is a demon masquerading as a god okay but they should not worship demons nor idols of gold silver brass and okay uh remember what john said to end his first epistle chapter five little children keep yourself from idols amen now of course you always have people that will read this and go that's ridiculous it's ridiculous. Come on. Modern, enlightened people don't worship idols, don't practice idolatry anymore. Have you checked the garage of some people? I mean, people are worshiping their gods down at the Home Depot every week. That's their god. That They live in church. It's not the church we would think of, right? It's a place of worship. Not that I'm saying you can't have a nice house. I'm just saying, you know, we're naive to think. And, and here's the thing. 
The reason people feel this way is because they envision these pagans, these unenlightened pagans, uh, carving something out of wood or stone or precious metals, some kind of a, an idol to then bow down and worship. How stupid, how foolish, how unenlightened can they be? Here's the problem. Those pagans were a lot more honest than people are today about their idolatry. And that is because people today, idolatry starts in the heart with a concept or an ideology, power, sexual gratification, wealth. I mean, you name it, the, the Greeks, the pagans had gods for it. But it all started in the heart. And then what they did was they took what was already in their heart and they fashioned it into something they could look at, take with them, put on their dashboard of their chariot. I don't know what they did. You know, to worship this deity. Now, people today don't take it to that level. But they still worship Zeus, the god of power. They still worship Bacchus, the god of partying. They still worship, uh, you know, uh, Venus, the goddess of fertility, uh, uh, a sexual goddess. They still worship these ideas. Some people, that's all they live for, is sexual gratification or to make money or for power, whether it be political power, corporate power, or underworld power, right? They don't have to take it to the next level and fashion something out of wood, stone, or precious metal to represent that God. So to say, well, we, they were pagans and they were unenlightened and unsophisticated, but we're, we don't do that anymore, is the height of folly and absurdity. How blind people are today, right? But guys, let me say this. By this time, the Antichrist has already caused the sacrifices and oblations to the true and living God. He has gone into the temple and caused these sacrifices to God, the rebuilt temple, the sacrifices to the true God to cease, and he has put his own image in the Holy of Holies and has demanded to be worshipped as God. We're past the halfway point. We're past the halfway point. That's why the judgments are really ramping up now. Uh, there's no more people that are going to get saved because everyone who's was going to get saved has gotten saved. And now God just begins to pour out his fiercest judgments upon the earth dwellers. Militant unbelievers that will never give God glory, that will never, the, never bow the knee to Christ, right? But by this time, Antichrist has already instituted his new world religion where he himself is God. So the world is now deeply entrenched and uh, immersed in worldwide idolatry and, de and demonic worship. Another good commentary on Revelation is one by Dr. Henry Morris. And I want to quote something he said out of that commentary. He said, and I quote, for many years prior to Christ, and he passed away about 10 years ago. I, I can't even imagine what he would think if he was still alive today. He was talking about this 30 years ago. What he's, and now it's the front pages of our, our news, basically. For many years prior to Christ's return for his saints, there will have been a revival of occultism, astrology, spiritism, and kindred, kindred doctrines, doctrines of demons, even in Western cultures, preparing the minds of men, women everywhere for a worldwide return to pagan idolatry in the final days of the cosmic rebellion. Have you seen the statue of Baphomet? Uh, in Salem, Massachusetts. I hear there's one in Detroit and some other cities uh, in the United States. It's this giant, ugly, goat-headed uh, creature. It's Satan. Baphomet uh, is representative of the devil. Well, we, we saw, if you were here last week, they, they showed the unveiling. And people, you know, dancing. And the thing that was really took me back, and I, and I knew this, but to hear him say it, that... Most of the people there were wearing suit and ties. These were corporate executives, very wealthy, powerful people who were all there because they are Satan worshipers. Satan worshipers. And this is preparing the world for the ultimate occultism under the Antichrist, right? He goes on to say, great worship centers will then be erected with grotesque images of modern art depicting the various cosmic 
and terrestrial forces and, pro and processes presumably controlled by the principalities and powers of the wicked one, and these will become objects of worship with men and women in effect, thus worshiping those evil spirits which they portray and re represent, worshiping idols of gold and silver, brass and stone and wood, um, I'm sorry, worshiping idols of gold and silver, brass, stone, and wood is, of course, the same as worshiping the demons who associated with them in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 20, end quote. Turn to 2 Thessalonians 2 as we wrap this up. Second Thessalonians 2, verse 9. The coming of the lawless one, a title for the Antichrist. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. I got an email a couple of weeks ago from a gentleman who was listening to one of our broadcasts. I don't know if it was on the live stream or it was just over the radio. Uh, during that message, I talked about the Catholic Church. Now, I was raised in the Catholic Church. I got married in the Catholic Church. So did my wife. Uh, of course she did, because I got married there. Uh, pretty stupid. Uh, it's late. Um, and he wrote to me and said, Pastor Phil, everything you said about the Catholic Church was wrong. Too much to get into on email. If you want to call me, we can talk. Okay, if I'm wrong. I, I, I want to be corrected. So, so you know, I had my secretary call and set up an appointment, and so I called it. And uh, I was determined not to try to win an argument. I wanted to try to win a soul. So I let him talk for the first 15, 20 minutes. And he wasn't telling me where I was wrong about the Catholic Church. He wanted to enlighten me about how the Catholic Church was the only true church. And Protestants like me, and he began to tell me, because a lot of folks, they, they don't want to dialogue. They're not open to being corrected. They just want to correct you. They just want to teach you, because you're so ignorant, unenlightened, and they are the bastions of all truth, spiritually speaking. And so after he began to, to teach me about how Protestantism came about, and what century, and what... I, I, let me just stop you, John. I said... Um, First of all, I'm not a Protestant. I'm a born-again Christian. I don't trace my Christianity to the 15th century, 16th century. I trace it all the way back to Jesus Christ. Okay? As far as salvation being by faith plus works, which he maintained, I quoted him three or four scriptures that specifically say it's by grace, which he stopped me and said, Oh, Pastor, you're just quoting the Bible. Now... When somebody tells you you're just quoting the Bible, probably a good time to end the conversation because it's not going anywhere. But I let him talk some more. But after about an hour, and he talked most of the time, I tried to get a few things in. It's, oh, Pastor, you go on and on. I'm like, okay. Um, but as I was trying to bring the conversation to a close, he wanted to get right into Eucharistic miracle and sightings of Our Lady Mary at Lady of Fatima. All these miracles and Eucharistic miracles where real blood is coming from these statues and blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, I just, I tried to jump in, but finally I just said, John, thank you. I think we're done. But here's the thing. And this is why I bring this out. A very um, committed man to his faith. Uh, he's a very strong Catholic. And I learned a lot of right things from the Catholic Church. But when I started reading the Bible for myself, I realized I wasn't taught a lot of other things that were right, like the gospel. It's not faith plus works that gets me into heaven. It's a faith that works, which I tried to communicate to him. The fruit does not make the tree. The tree makes the fruit. Good works don't make me a Christian. They prove I am a Christian. But it, it was, you know. But here, here's why people get sucked in, Okay to these false religious systems, and they will get sucked in to the Antichrist religion. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 9, the coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan with all what? Power, signs, 
and lying wonders, real miracles. Satan has the power to do real miracles. Can he make blood come out of statues? Yeah. Can he cause people to see an apparition that presents itself as the Virgin Mary to give us truth? Listen, if you have any time you want to Google this, Google what Mary, quote-unquote, said uh, in Fatima and Lord, and, and compare that to what the Bible teaches. Either we all need to come together. We're all taking different roads to get to God. That's, that's not the Mary of the Bible. She was a godly woman, okay? But people are being primed, and, and here's the problem. They're putting more faith in experiences and in supernatural occurrences than they are the Word of God. We are in living in very deceptive days. Yeah. Very deceptive days. Jesus said, so deceptive, that when the Antichrist comes, the, the deception, the spiritual deception would be so incredible that even the elect would be deceived if I hadn't warned you in advance prophecy god's word right we have to stick with the word of god don't let experiences and these miracles uh yeah i'm not denying I, he was trying to convince me these were real miracles i don't have a problem with that sure they're real miracles who are they coming from though where's the origin okay well but go back to second thessalonians 2 let's back up to verse 3 for a second let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, again, the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying miracles. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. This gentleman would not receive the love of the truth. He would not embrace the true gospel. He, was, he kept telling me that the true gospel is that I believe plus I work and that earns me salvation. And that's why people like that are going to be deceived. Because they're rejecting what God has clearly said and gravitating towards whatever religious system they're involved in, right? Um, verse 10, With all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. I have to stop. Um, I, I, I wanted to go, I wanted to finish chapter 9 today. Um, We'll pick it up next week, God willing, uh, at this point. And we will finish chapter 9, get into, probably even finish chapter 10. It's not that long a chapter. Um, but we are told that during this future time, people will not repent of various things, murders, thefts, sorceries. And the Greek is a word that means hallucinogenic drugs. Hallucinogenic drugs have played a major role in connecting our youth to the realm of the spirit, the spirit realm. And I'm going to show you next week that LSD was the kindergarten. Transcendental meditation was the graduate school. And there's an interesting story, true story, about a guru who got saved. He was the son of a top guru in India. And uh, I don't want to get into the story today, um, but you could Google the book he wrote called Death of a Guru. I think it's still in print. I think you still get it on Amazon. Incredible book. And we'll talk about what he discovered um, after he got saved. And very interesting story. So we'll get to that next time. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, which is truth. In your word, as in you, there is no darkness, no deception at all. You are pure. You are the God of light and truth. And anything that emanates from you is perfect, 
and true and is of the light. So, Lord, we pray that you continue to bless these studies in your word. We realize, Lord, that difficult days are coming for the people of this planet. And even though I don't believe we're going to be here when the Antichrist is finally re revealed, uh, the mystery of iniquity is already at work. We are, are already seeing the beginnings of what he's going to bring to fruition when he comes on the scene. So, Lord, give us grace to uh, keep drawing close to you and stay in your word. We ask you to keep blessing these studies. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.